0: Today's daf is Daf Daled in Masechet Pesachim. We're starting with the very first words of Daf Daled Amud Aleph. Rav Bar Achva, the u uBar Achte. Rav was both the son of the sister and brother of Rebbechiah. Rashi explains how that could be because Aivu, who was the father of Rav, was the brother of Rebbechiah from their father's side. They shared a father, and at the same time, the mother. Uh, Avrav was the sister of Rabbi Chiyah only from his mother, not they didn't share a father. They only shared a mother, so therefore, uh, Rabbi Chia's half sister that he shared a, with whom he shared a mother was able to marry Rabbi half brother with whom he only shared a father because they actually had no uh, no uh, parent in common. Aivu had no parent in common, obviously, uh, with his with his uh with his wife, but they were they each were half brother and half sister to Chia, So Rav was both the son of the brother and the son of the sister of Chia. and Kisalik Latam when he went there, when he went to visit Amarle Aivu Kayam, he asked, Is Aivu alive? Amarle Imakayemet, he said back to him, is mother alive? Amarle said to him, "Is mother alive? Amarle, Aivu kayam is Aivu alive." In other words, this is speaking about how Rabbi Chia asked Rav uh, whether Rabbi Chia's brother and sister were still alive. He hadn't seen Rav in a long time, so when he came to Israel and he saw Rav, he asked him, uh, "Is Aivu your father, which is my brother, still alive?" And Rav answered him. Ima kayemet, is Ima still alive? You should ask that. And they said, "Oh, is Ima still alive?" Which seems to be actually her name, as well as the fact that she was his mother, the mother of Rav. And uh, and so when Rabbi Chiyah asked that, he said, "Is is my father alive? Is Aivu alive?" So meaning to say that he avoided the question. The way Rashi interprets it is that when Re- Rabbi Chia asked, "Is is your father alive?" he answered by saying is my mother alive? And then we said, is your mother alive? He said, is my father alive? In other words, he was asking a question each time, meaning because he he didn't want to come out straight and tell him they both had passed away. And as we learned in the previous daf, trying to avoid saying negative things or being the bearer of bad tidings. And so he didn't want to bring bad news. But obviously, Rabbi Chia understood from this that both his brother and sister had passed away. The two parents of Rav had both passed away since he had last been there. So, Amar Lishama'e. he said to his servant who was attendant, "Chalotli Min Ali, or Min Alai, Take off my shoes, the Holikh Kelai, Achal the and bring my clothing with me to after me to the bathhouse. In other words, what he he had to take off his shoes because that meant that he had to observe Shiva or some kind of mourning for his brother and his sister who had passed away. Uh, but he still said, "I'm going straight to the bathhouse after this. Please bring my things with me," which means he's obviously not observing the shiva uh, restrictions for very long. So shemamina tilat, we learned three alechot, so nata sandal. First of all, we see from here that you're not allowed to wear shoes. He said this out loud, so everybody would learn that you're not allowed to wear shoes when you're a mourner. We also learn that means when you hear about someone's death more than 30 days after it actually occurred, then you only have to observe the restrictions of Shiva for a single day. We also learn that part of a day is like a whole day. So meaning, if a person hears within 30 days that a relative passed away, we'll learn more about this when we get to Masachet Moed Katan. Um, When a person learns within 30 days that a relative has passed away, even though they're learning late, they're getting the news late, they have to observe Shiva. But if they learn after 30 days that, that, that a relative has died, then they don't observe a full Shiva. They only have to observe one day. And since we have a principle of Mikhtzatayom Kihulot that a partial day is a full day, they really only have to observe the rules of Shiva for a few minutes, and then they can conclude the Shiva. So that's why he said to him, Bring my things to the Merchats, bring my things to the Bitta Merchats, to the ba- bathhouse, because he needed to take off his shoes to demonstrate that he was observing Shiva, but it only lasted a few minutes um, because it was a Shemuar It was a distant news, meaning news that didn't reach him until over a month after it had occurred. But the main reason why the Gemara brought this as I mentioned was because it's showing you how Rav indirectly answered the question to Rabbi Chia rather than uh, say the words uh, that his parents had died. Ehud Amar Dini there was a person who always would say judge my judgment meaning he was very uh, litigious person he always wanted to take everybody to court on every little conflict. Amrei they said Shema Midan Kate this person must be from Shevet Dan because it says that Dan will judge his people like one all of the tribes of Israel meaning that the fact that he was he always wanted to take people to court and sue them showed that he was from done ah. There was a certain guy who would always say, So Rashi gives two interpretations of this. One is his own interpretation, which means, on, by the seashore, I want to build my palaces. The other one is that, no, the bushes by the seashore are as impressive as the cypress trees in other places, meaning that he loved the seashore. Both interpretations mean that he loved being by the sea. They, they investigated and found that he came from the tribe of Zivulun. Because it says that Zivulun would dwell by the beaches, by the seashore. And that, and because he loved the seashore so much, um, he indicated and they found out, they determined, they, they actually proved that he was from Shevet Zivulun. Now that we have determined, um, we get back on track, the main t- focus of this masachet, which uh, or of this Perak which is the Bidikat Chametz is searching for Chametz now that we've determined that everybody agrees that it's done the night before, not done during the day. So, or la'ubasar, when it talks about checking for the Chametz, or la'ubasar, it's not during the day, it means the night before. So now that we've determined that, so mechidi ben Rabbi Yehuda ben Rabbi Meir, whether you're going like Rabbi Yehuda, Rabbi Meir, chametz in Osroel m'she oto lemalah. According to the Torah, chametz does not become forbidden min Torah according to the biblical law, until chatzot of erev Pesach. That's when you're not allowed to have any chametz anymore, or eat any chametz anymore. Is from midday on erev Pesach. So v'nigdov v'nivdok b'shit. So why can't we just start looking at that time? Why do we have to do b'dikat chametz the night before? Ve'chitei mazoyzin makdimin lemitzvot. And if you'll tell me that it's because whenever there's a mitzvah, we always do it as early as possible possible, people who are very passionate about mitzvot do them early, so, so do it in the morning of Erev Pesach, get up early in the Erev Pesach and search then, right, because we know for example when we have a mitzvah like Brit Milah, and Brit Milah is supposed to be on the eighth day of a child's birth, um, in the mitzvot, that we say that the entire day is kosher for a Brit Milah You can do a Brit milah throughout the day Anytime that it's a daytime you can do it But Zrizin, those who are very meticulous And very devoted to mitzvot Do them as early as possible Because we see that Avraham got up early in the morning To fulfill the mitzvah and the mitzvot that Hashem gave him, including the, uh, this is, this is actually talking about the Akedah, Um, but, uh, we, we assume also that Avram did the same thing with B'rit Milad, did it as soon as possible. So why isn't the morning of soon enough? Why do we have to do it the night before? The reason is because at night, people are found in their homes. People are not out and about. And the light of the candle is best for searching at night. During the day, the, having candlelight can actually cast shadows that makes it more difficult to, uh, to search effectively. But, um, but uh, during the night, that's when it's the best to search with candles. And that's why they would do it at night, because people are home and because the candlelight is more effective. So not because it's Zazim Bakti Mila Mitzvot, not because we're making it the earliest time possible to do the mitzvah. For that, we could do it the next morning. We do it at night because it's practically the best time. Amar says, "Any rabbinical student said that he should not start his shiur, his learning. Said there, whatever order of learning he has, if he has a chavruta, if he has a shiur that he gives or attends, or he has an, he has a specific time set aside for learning in the evening. He should not begin it on that night, the night of the search for chametz. It calls it here, the night of the 13th, prior to the 14th, meaning the night after the 13th day of Nisan, which is the night of the B'dika, which is also really the night of the 14th of Nisan, just that we count the nights as the beginning of the day. So, maybe it will drag on too long, and because he's so involved in learning, he'll forget to do the at night. So, the idea is that once, the reason that is, once we see that the reason why uh, we do at night is because people are available in their homes, so we have to make ourselves available available in our homes. If somebody rents out their house to a friend, um, on the 14th of Nissan livdok so if i if i rent you a house and the lease begins on the 14th of Nissan so the question is who's obligated to check for the chametz do we say that since the any chametz that's in there is obviously the possession of the um of the landlord not of the tenant because the tenant uh, didn't live there yet so should we say that the landlord should be responsible or maybe we should say that since with the advent of the 14th of Nisan it's now the the possession of the uh the tenant and so therefore he should be obligated to to check for hamits in his domain so, Tashima, come and listen. We know that if I rent out a home to a tenant, the tenant has to make the mezuzah. So, you, so similarly, since I rent out my home to a tenant, the tenant should have to do the bidikat chametz. It says, no of Mishar Shia said that Mizuza is the obligation of the person who lives in the house meaning even if you own a house and nobody lives there it's just a house that's sitting there you own it, it's your property you don't have to put a mizuza on that house only once somebody's living there does there uh, become a mitzvah of putting on a mezuzah and it falls on the person who actually lives there the tenant in this case but b'dikat chametz is a different story it does nothing we don't have a principle that that uh, bidikat chametz is the obligation of the tenant and incidentally Rashi says because the mezuzah provides protection to the one dwelling in the house so therefore it's the obligation of the person dwelling in the house the Rambam says that one should not misunderstand and think that the protection afforded by the mezuzah is a physical protection and therefore think that it offers some kind of a force field around the house but actually it's a spiritual protection because it prevents a person from forgetting Hashem and living their life the wrong way. That's a true protection, protection of the soul, not the body. So, what's the law here with Bidikat He said, We learned already. He said, It's very simple. If the person gave over the keys prior to the 14th of Nissan, he already gave the keys over to the tenant. So then when the 14th of Nissan begins and the obligation of Bidikat chametz starts, it's in the possession of the tenant, then he has to do the checking. And if not, if he hasn't given the keys until, let's say, the next day. So then, and the night of the, the B'dikah, the keys are in the hands of the landlord, and the landlord would be obligated to do the mitzvah. So they followed up with another question. Let's say the rental occurs on the day of Erev Pesach, meaning that the, the night before was the night that there was supposed to be B'dikah Um but it was in the possession of the landlord, and now the landlord comes to rent out the property to a tenant on the day of Erev Pesach when the time for the B'dikah has already passed. So what do we say? Do we say, Cheskato B'aduk? Do we assume that the landlord did the mitzvah and already checked the house for Chametz or in B'aduk? Or do we say, no, that it, we don't presume that. And now that you're a new tenant, you have to do the checking yourself all over again that day of Erev Pesach. So the what's the, what's the question? that, you know, why, is, why do we have a question here? Just ask the guy, did you do b'dikat Chametz? And we can assume he'll tell you the truth. Right, no, de lehay. We assume that de so, la So we don't have him present. De We don't have him around to ask. So since we cannot ask him, so we have to figure out what should we assume about the situation. What Should we assume, let's say he left for, for Pesach uh, with his family in another town. So we, we don't have the ability to ask him whether he did B'dikat Chametz in this house last night, that now we're in possession of it. So what do we do? So do we now make the tenant do bdikat all over again? Or can he assume that the landlord who was here probably did the mitzvah last night? I can't ask him, I don't have a way to reach him, but I'm gonna assume he did it. So or answered and said, we also learned the answer to this. He said we have a principle that states that we that everyone is trusted about the the removal of chametz. Women and slaves and children. Everybody is trusted. And what does that mean that everybody is trusted? So he says, I'll tell you what it means. He says, Why would we trust women, slaves and children about this? Generally, we don't accept their testimony about things. Right? Rather, you see, You see that the reason is because we must already assume that the house has been checked. In other words, since we can already assume the house has been checked, that's the presumption. They're just confirming The presumption, okay, the child or the evid, the slave, is confirming the presumption we already have. That's why we're able to rely on it. But actually, uh, their word alone wouldn't have any value if we didn't already assume that the house was checked. So you see, you assume that the house is checked. So it says because we assume that everyone are is chaverim chaverim is a term used for tamidei for people who are the pious very meticulous observers of mitzvot we assume everybody is very careful and meticulous about chametz and therefore they check the house the night before. Just like we say that if a if one of the tamideh Chachamim who was part of the group of Chachamim that observed all the laws of purity, impurity, ma'aser, truma, very carefully, and he died, and he left left a, a basket full of fruits, even if he just gathered them today, we assume that he took ma'aser and truma right away, even though he died. Why? Because he wouldn't leave anything. We have a principle that a chavir somebody who is a talmid chacham and is careful about mitzvot, will not allow something to issue. That lo yetzei mitachat yado, nothing will go out from under his hand until it is properly uh, corrected. So therefore we assume he did the ma'asern right away. He wouldn't allow for the possibility that these fruit, this fruit would fall into somebody else's hands without it being properly prepared for them. So there, in the same way, we should assume the same thing about chametz and matzah for the average person. So it says, no, not necessarily. Right. So it says, no, maybe it's not true. Maybe the opposite. Maybe we don't assume that the house is a uh, is automatically presumed to be uh, checked because people are so careful about chametz. No, maybe it's just because the women, the children, and the slaves told us that the place was checked. Says, Are you telling me that you think the testimony of children or of slaves really has some substance that we're relying on it for determining the status of the house? We must assume that the house is presumed to be checked and that's why we can accept the testimony of these people that normally we wouldn't rely on. But, but the words of the teaching of the Brite were everybody is believed about medikat chametz, about the searching for chametz. And according to you, that really we don't believe the women and the slaves and the children. So then, why does it say hakol nemanim, everybody is trustworthy? It should say kol That all houses are presumed to have been checked. Not that these people are assumed to be reliable. Why does it say the people are reliable? Right? El mishum amira dehane, Right? Ha, lo ha nei, lo. The, rather the clear implication is means that it is the testimony of these slaves or children or whatever that is establishing the status of the house and if they did not say that it was checked we would assume that it wasn't checked therefore we must conclude that no we don't assume that the house has been checked unless their testimony clarifies that it was and that means that the Status quo, right? The default assumption is that it was not checked. Lo, no, emalach Now I'm gonna go back to my original assumption that we assume it was checked. We have reason to believe that the owner did not check the house. We have reason to believe there's a way we saw that he was very busy all day running around doing errands all night, or we saw that he left his house before the night of Bidikat chametz. One way or another, we know that he was either too busy with other activities or he was out of town. We don't assume that he did Bidikat chametz, And because we, so that means that normally we would assume that somebody did. But in this particular case, we have reason to believe that he did not. And these children or slaves say, we did it. So ma'u would Lo ninu. Rabbanan, Maybe the rabbis will not believe these slaves, women, and children in their testimony that they checked the house. So it says, since the... uh, What would you think? You would think that maybe the rabbis would not believe the uh, women and children and slaves and uh, since we had reason to believe that the owner of the house did not check the house, we assume that he didn't check the house. uh, So it says, no... Since, since the whole concept of checking for Chametz is is only rabbinic, that really all you need to do is be, do bitul Chametz. Say, I divest myself and reject all of my Chametz, and that's actually enough according to the Torah. You don't really need Bidikat Chametz. So, Rabbanan Since the whole concept of b'dikat Chametz was only rabbinic, they were allowed to believe whomever they wanted, and they could believe even the women and slaves and be more lenient. Um, that, uh, you know, in in accepting their testimony. So really, we are accepting their testimony. And there's an interesting Tosafot here that discusses, well, you know, we really do rely on women all the time on things like Shechita, Kashrut, all kinds of things. Why here would it be different that we would have a question about relying on women? Um, And and why here it's a unique case? And, And Tosafot, uh, says basically that because it's a very involved process, it's not like just uh, relying on them for something being kosher or not kosher, but relying on them for an involved process is, is more of a question. But either way, be that as it may, um, the point is that we're relying on them, even though, uh, since it's only a rabbinic rule, we can rely on them. And that that means that, yes, we normally assume a house has been checked after the night of the Bidika, if all is considered equal. If we have a reason to doubt a reason to think that the person, the owner of the house, did not check it, but there's testimony from members of his household, even though the, those members of the household wouldn't normally be believed about such a weighty issue, since it's only rabbinic, um, and they're saying that they checked it, we can rely upon them in that. And um, it's interesting here that it says, ba'al masagi, that really, chametz is rabbinic because, according to the Torah, you just have to divest yourself, you just have to do, uh, bitul chametz. you just have to reject and nullify the chametz verbally, Seems to support Rashi's opinion that we learned in the beginning of the Masechet that, uh, according to Rashi, the reason for bedikat chametz is because of bali ra'el bali the prohibition of owning chametz. That it's not enough that we just nullify chametz verbally, but we have to physically remove it for whatever reason. Either because maybe we won't do the bedikah, we won't do the bitul properly, or we won't really mean it, um, or whatever the case may be. Uh, and Tosfot maintain that Tosfot say that no, the purpose, of, the purpose of checking for chametz is to remove it from the house so you don't come to eat it by accident. This gemara would seem to support Rashi, that B'dikat chametz is a rabbinic rule because really all you have to do is do bitul. That implies like Rashi, that the main issue with B'dikat chametz is, is divesting yourself of ownership and we're concerned that either you didn't or you won't or you won't mean it or whatever when you say the bitul chametz. so therefore you have to physically remove it from your domain. They asked another question. Let's say a person rents a house to his friends with the assumption that it has been checked for chametz. And then he walks in and he realizes there's chametz all over the place and it's not checked. So the question is, what's the status? Do we consider that a sale under false pretenses? And now if the buyer or the renter wants to cancel the lease because now he walked into a place full of chametz right before Bessach, he will be able to do so. So Tashim, I come understand. The Amar Abaye, don't be byah, batra d'layav badku. The nihale le'inish lekiu mei mitzvah be'gufei. He laughs. Feel about batra d'layav ve'agra, or badku. The nihale le'inish lekiu mei mitzvah be'mamonei. He says, not only says Abaye, in a situation where they don't pay for Bidikat chametz to be done. In other words, they don't hire people to do it. Even there, she says la'chiri that they don't give money to other people to batkei. La'kol yishvish bodeket v'to everybody does it themselves. Okay, because a person cannot say says Rashi that if I had known that this house was not actually checked for chametz, I would not have rented it. Because what is he saying? I don't want to do the mitzvah of checking my new house for chametz. He shouldn't complain about doing a mitzvah. But even in a place where they hire other people to do it and they pay them to do it, they got chametz. And so therefore, this new tenant who walked into the house that actually still has chametz was assuming that it was going to have been cleaned for chametz, and he sees that it's not. Even that tenant now is going to have to pay somebody, possibly, and spend money to have the house cleaned and have the house checked says even there since it's a a person is happy to use his money to do a mitzvah he can't complain and say it's a disadvantage to me that I have to do chametz. that's the basic point of Abaye Abaye is saying a person cannot claim that having to do a mitzvah is a disadvantage is a liability and I want to cancel the sale because either he's going to now get a chance to do the mitzvah chametz with his own body or he's going to have to pay somebody to do the mitzvah b'dikat khametz he cannot go to the landlord and say that this was a a, a, a sale executed under false pretense or uh, lease executed under false pretenses because I have to do a mitzvah. Since a mitzvah is not considered a liability, it's considered to be a privilege to do the mitzvah, even when you have to spend money on it. Now, obviously, if in the contract it explicitly said that the landlord was going to cover the cost or the, whatever it was, you know, the B'dikat chametz. so that would be a different story. But we're talking about where the person rented it on the assumption with reason to believe that it had already been checked and then found that it wasn't. Even though he might feel inconvenienced, we can't call the uh, obligation to do a mitzvah a liability or a harm done to the tenant such that he could cancel the sale. Rather, he has to take care of the B'dikat chametz and feel happy that he had the opportunity to fulfill the mitzvah himself.